we, we have completed um, the first section, actually, of the Derech Hashem. <coughs> and we are now going to move into the second section. What was the first section basically like? In the first section, what Ramchal dealt with is fundamentally uh, the purpose of creation, the components of creation, which means that what are all the different types of beings that exist in creation, you see? And of course, the first parak was all about God. Now, he's obviously the first one, and he's the main one, obviously. And then he talked about Adam, man, <coughs> and so on. Uh, and then, of course, the, we had in the uh, fifth parak, he talked about the malochim, and the whole concept of, uh, we talked about demons. Basically, what that is about is, what is the purpose of creation? And the second thing is, what are the components of creation based on that purpose? In other words, what are the actual components that the Rabbanishal made to bring the creation to its purpose, its intended purpose? Then, of course, uh, besides the components, then there was a, the idea of what is the arrangement or the structure of all these components. In other words, how do they relate with each other? And... Uh, and uh, so that was basically in the, in the first parak. In other words, it's basically what is in creation, what the purpose is, and what exactly, what are the components of the creation. Now, in this section, section two, he's going to talk about the, what's called the actions of those beings that he talked about in the first, in the first section. What do they do? What's their behavior? What are their actions? You see. And that's what he's going to talk now, uh, uh, what he calls hashgocha. Hashgocha means uh, interaction or supervision. In other words, as a result of the actions of all these things, especially, uh, especially man, what is the actions, the supervision that God provides for all these types of actions? And that's really what he's going to talk about, uh, most of it, in the second. And he calls it the Hashgocha, um, you know, the actions of the Rabbani Shalom, the actions of man, what determines the actions of God, why does God do what he does, and he's going to try to cover that in the second section. You see, so that's a general, what's called a general introduction to the, to the section. <clears throat> It is useful to think about, if you, you know, in, in, uh, in terms of this topic called supervision, the following ideas. Because really, you know, th th this, uh, what the Ramchal talks about is really divided into many different topics. And it's very important to have a framework of these topics, or else you get lost in the details. So it's useful to think uh, in terms of supervision, that aspect of the creation. Uh, the first idea which is useful to think about is the concept called the purpose. Why is there a creation altogether? Now purpose is a very important idea because that's what dictates what exists, obviously. If there's a purpose, right, then what has to exist to achieve that purpose in general? So that's the second thing. So the first thing is purpose. 
which obviously, like I said, it determines everything that exists. Because obviously those things that exist, exist because they advance the purpose. Or else why would they exist? See. The second thing which is useful to think about is the situation. What are the situations that, pe that mankind finds himself in? What are the situations? And there's a lot to talk about, many different situations. Then what man does, as we see, he exercises free will. He has a situation, and within that situation, he exercises free will. He does what he wants to do, and we'll, we'll talk about that, you know, what, what is free will. And um, he basically is, free will means that he is responsible uh, for his actions. He is the cause, and therefore he is responsible for his actions. Nobody else is. So we have purpose, we have the situation, then we have the concept of free will. Then, of course, following free will, since man has free will, okay, what are the actions that he does in response to the free will? And that obviously is very important uh, because uh, based on what he does, that's going to determine, right, the consequences of his free will. Well, if he performs certain actions, right, what are the actions? And what are the consequences? What happens as a result of the free will? And in the last idea is how does God respond to man's free will? So we have this sort of like sequence of topics. You have the purpose, the situation, then you have man and his free will, then you have the actions that man does, what are the consequences of the acts, and what is God's response to those acts, you see. Therefore, you can look at Hashgoho's supervision, basically, as several ideas. One is the whole concept of situation, that God creates the situations that man exists in, which includes his free will. So that's the first idea. The, then the God waits for man to act, and therefore God will now act as a result of the acts of man. He will react and respond to those acts. And the response that God has to the acts of man is called supervision. But like I said, God supervises the initial situation, and he also supervises and determines what are the acts that he wishes to do to man as a result of the actions of man. So those are the, basically, they give you a feel of the different categories, you see. So we can talk about, like we did, what the purpose is, and then, of course, what the different situations are, and God determines the situations. It's called a setup, really, you know. And uh, the, like I said, the, the person doing the free will and the acts that he does. But the main idea in the end, which Ramchal wants to dwell on, is, you know, what does God do? What is, how does he respond to the acts of man? And in many ways, that, that determines all the things you see. All the things you see out in the world are basically <clears throat> the response of God as a result of man's actions. And it's almost infinite the way God decides what to do. How, like, how does God, how does he dis decide what to do? What determines his response? You know, 
if it's in a, if it's punishment, if it's reward, or you know, you look at all the sufferings of man, or all the uh, good things that a person does, the joys, the sorrows. You know, uh, if you really think about that, in many ways, most of them, almost all of them actually, God responds to, and therefore He determines the joys and the sorrows. Everything that happens to a person is basically a response of God, usually to some type of action that the person did. And I must add, whether that action be in this life or previous reincarnations, doesn't make a difference. When God responds, He takes into account all the lives of this particular individual that He lived, what He did with those lives, you see? So He is sort of like is following the whole game. We only see an immediate play, you see? So God will respond to the immediate play. But God's got the whole game in front of Him. You know, and he's got the whole game, not only of an individual, the whole team. Generations. What? Yeah, all the generations, sure, you know, yeah. So when God responds, it's never to one specific play generally, you know. It includes, you know, this person, his, all his lives. Not only that, all the people he's related to in this life, his wife and his kids and so on, you know. Everybody is taken into account, or I should say, everything is taken into account that determines God's response. So, like, which computer can figure this out, you know? So, obviously, only God can respond this way. But how God responds to a person, like I said, in many ways is infinite. When you take all the factors involved, what he decides to do. So, what Ramchal is going to do here, in this section, is talk about the general responses that God has. He can't go into the details, but in a general way, what does God do? How does He respond? That's called hashgocha. In other words, it's God's reaction to mankind's free-willed actions. And that's the concept of hashgocha, you see, um, and so on. Anyway, so this is what this section is going to be, be really all about. Okay. Now, the Ramchal begins uh, in the beginning, uh, in the first parak, in Hashgokho, you know. Well, he says that, of course, you know, we know that everything exists in order to achieve a purpose. Right? And not only that, but whatever exists only exists because it has a purpose. Which is an interesting idea. You know, <clears throat> it's very precise. If you have no purpose, you don't exist. Not only that, as long as you have a purpose, you exist. The moment you are purposeless, I don't mean that's your choice, but the moment that God uh, doesn't have a purpose, in this, uh, the moment that God see, that sees, that He knows, that you are not advancing the purpose of creation, you're gone, you see. So God creates beings, creatures, right? They all must be part of the advancement of a purpose. And not only that, but whatever, however they advance the purpose, that determines, you know, what type of creature they are, their lifespan, their properties, and so on. For instance, like a spider. You know, why is a spider necessary for creation? You know, at all. We don't really know. Why is it a spider is a creature that can spin a web? When you think about that, you know, we don't know. You see? But somehow there was a necessity for there to be a spider, to be thousands of species of spider, 
And that spiders can spin a web of intricate design. You ever see a spider's web? Some of these, some of these are, I, you know, it's, it's almost absolutely magnificent how this, this little thing that is, uh, what is it, one centimeter, one, one, one inch? You know, I remember I once walked out into a porch, you know, and there was this web, like, well, I, I, I think it was like two feet across. But it was magnificent structure. It was glued exactly. I mean, all of this is coming from the belly of the spider. You know, the thread, the glue, you know. And, and this spider knew exactly how to make that web. It was fascinating, you know. How many years would it take a guy in engineering to figure out how to make this? Because it has to have stability. It has to have the tension. It has to be weak enough with, with another a fly lens on it. Then it shakes the web. It's just astounding. And all of this comes from what? It comes from the DNA of the spider. All this knowledge is inherent in the, in the genome of the spider. It's astounding that information can be in a cell, you see? And the spider, whatever the spider is, it has a consciousness, obviously, you know, which is very limited. But its consciousness knows what to do because its DNA and its cells are telling this, okay, you gotta go here first, you know how it starts, you know? First it drops the line, then it has to attach it to something, you see, then it goes up, it goes up, then it drops another line. And, you know, the, the construction. Now, this spider had to exist, all the species of spiders, or else there would be something with the ability of the world to advance. Go figure that out. And we're talking about, you know, scientists estimate there are approximately 100 million species, you see. And like I once told you, you know, there's a thing called a beetle. Many, there's 300,000 species, different individual species of beetles. Like I said, you know, and they all have to exist, you know, in order for the, this creation to advance to its purpose. Go figure this, right? It's beyond, it's beyond our cheshman, you see. So that requires God, again, the critical concept is purpose. And remember, man cannot bring extinction to any species. The only reason why he's allowed to do that is because that particular species no longer serves a purpose to advance the creation. And therefore, man is able to extinguish that. God will allow him to extinguish that species. And over the years, there have been species, obviously, you know, you have, uh, you know that have been extinguished, extinct, or they're on the danger list, you know, all kinds of lists, endangered species lists, and so on, you know. But that's, uh, so therefore, purpose is critical. And the, the kinds of things that exist and, and their properties all are critical to allow the, the Bria to advance. But obviously all of them are secondary because the primary creature or being is man, obviously. So therefore it comes out that man who is the individual that brings the achievement of the purpose must have all these assistants or else he can't do it. All of these things have to assist them. You know, lately, in, in today's time, we understand much more the interaction or interrelationship between all these creatures. It's called ecology, you know? You know, in other words, if you kill one, then it's gonna have a tremendous negative effect on other species and so on. So the concept of ecology, really, when you think about it, is really the study of the interrelationship between all different species. You see, so we actually have a handle on this, and we see that it, that it's true. 
You know, if you take off uh, one rainforest, you could affect species in many, many different places, and so on. So obviously things exist not only for itself, but they exist in order to enable other things to exist. And therefore other things can exist, and ultimately allows man to exist also. So it's obviously an incredibly complex scheme of what the Rabbanisham did. And the, and the thing is now the Hashgacha comes in, the supervision comes in, right? Is that God has to provide the sustainment of all these creatures. It's not just that they are, but he's got to maintain their existence because if he doesn't, then something happens to the purpose. You know, so could you believe what's sustaining a hundred million species of which there are trillions and trillions of, uh, of actual details and so on? He's got to feed them all. Think about that, you know? You know, there are people that scream because they've got to feed their kids. They can't feed five kids or six kids, you know? And you have animals and everything else that has to eat every day of the week. Just when you think about that, you know, how does God provide food for hundreds and hundreds of quintillion, quadrillion species, not species, excuse me, of individual creatures? Unbelievable how he does that, because that's part of the maintenance. He's got to sustain them. And if he doesn't, then they die. And if they die, in some way, it's going to affect the purpose of creation. It is beyond human calculation of how God can feed everything. And it's not only he's got to feed them, he's got to feed them at the right time when they need the dinner. You know, if that animal is hungry, you know, he's got to feed it then. He can't wait, right? Uh, all of a sudden, you know, when the animal is not hungry because then the animal is not going to eat. You know, so everything has to be exactly in its time. <clears throat> you know, which is, uh, and that's why it says, Posech you open up your hand, masbia, and you, uh, you masbia, you nourish or you satisfy, satiate, right? Masbia is kolchai rotzoin. You, in words, you satisfy everything beitoy in its time. Uh, you know, it's um, <coughs> it was a very interesting story in the Gemara where Rava, <coughs> Rava, somebody came to Rava and he said he needed charity, you know. And Rubber, I think, was the gizbo of the charity. So the guy said, Rubber said, what would you like? He said, well, he came, you know, I, I would like uh, some real a great dish, you know. So he said, are you serious? You know, can, I, I, I can't satisfy this. What he wanted, I don't recall exactly what the, the, the nature of the dish was, but some elegant cake or meat or whatever it was, you know. So the man told Rubber, I mean, you have to know what was Rubber was, right? Rubber, right? There isn't three pages in the Gemara that the name of Rova is not mentioned. You have to understand who this man was. He was beyond belief. Uh, he's one of the greatest Hamid Chacham who ever lived. You know, took out Shas is 2,711 pages, and you will not find three pages that go by without his name being mentioned. It's like, wow, right? So the man told him, he said, Wait a minute, are you giving me of your things? You're not giving me of your things. You know, God prepared, and the guy quotes this Pasuk. God gives everybody the food when they need it. You know, he's telling this to Rava. So all of a sudden, at that moment, I think it was the sister of Rava walks in 
She hadn't seen Rav in many years. And she wanted to bring something for tzedakah. She was bringing him the exact dish that this guy needed. Can you imagine? And it happened at the same time. I was like, you know. So Rav says, Rav turns to the guy and says, well, obviously, you know, you're right, you know. Go take what is yours. There's a man who told Rav, there's a concept called Be'itoy. We don't have, have to wait for this. Don't worry, it's going to happen. Anyway, it just shows you the unbelievable hashgocha that God has to feed everything exactly. You know, the problem is we go through life and we don't think about many ideas that require thinking. You know, it's, you have to, we don't think about that. The awesome responsibility of God to maintain every single creature that exists, which is almost infinite, Yet he's got to maintain them, he's got to feed them, protect them, so they don't get extinct, you know? It's just astounding how God can do that, you know? We, we have problems, like say, dealing with five people, and God has to deal with every creature in existence, which is almost infinite. Plant. You see? What was that? Plant life. Plant. Uh, yeah, I, I, exactly. Plant. I haven't even caught... Yeah, yeah, I haven't. So that's what it's been. So it's not just animal life or birds. It's like you just. It's plants. They also need nutrients. Everything. Yeah, it's it's beyond beyond comprehension how the Bosham can feed everybody. You know what I'm saying? So like it's like the the, the there's a mission in Kedushin, you know. So he said, you know, you don't you never find uh, an animal that's a storekeeper. You never notice that. You know, no 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 no. Uh, uh, no deer ever opened up a store and selling leather goods or whatever, right? <coughs> right? And you find it, it's a mission of Kedushim. Yet you find that what? That every, that what he called, that they have panos berevach. Everyone eats, they eat at the right time, they have exactly what they need to sustain their existence, you know? How much more so man, who the whole purpose of creation, how God is going to sustain him. What's the problem? Because he sins, and therefore the response of God to him obviously interacts with his parnosa <coughs> and so on. That's the problem. Animals don't sin. Uh, so they get their parnosa bereva, which means with ease, basically. Unless God decrees for whatever reason, a famine or whatever, a hunger and so on. Uh, but man should get that. We should be able to get a, a parnosa without any difficulty. But we don't because of the sin. That's what the Mishnah says. And so on. But anyway... <coughs> Therefore, what I'm saying is that God has to sustain every creature, which is uh, infinite. There's no way we can understand how, how, we, we, you, we, how do you even approach this problem. But anyway, so therefore, the first major supervision that God provides is the creation, right? And the, sus the sustainment of every living organism, no matter what, what that is, and so on. And that itself is beyond uh, our, our comprehension and so on, you know. <clears throat> now, so besides that, if you remember from the last couple of weeks, you know, he sustains not, every cre not only every creature, but remember, he has to sustain all the kuchas nevdolim, all the transcendental forces that are really our roots. And he has to sustain all the angels. Guess what? They also need to be sustained. I don't know how. They don't eat, right? But they have the same problem. God has to create them and sustain all the malachim. And there's un almost an infinite amount of malachim because they're the ones who, who, who uh, control 
the the koiches the transcendental forces, which are the root of all physical beings. So he's got to sustain them, and we have no idea, right, of how many malachim, uh, you know, he does. You know, so he's got to sustain, the, and he's got to sustain the shadim, the sultan, you name it. There's almost an infinite amount of beings that exist. And God has to, in the, sort of like in a way, sustain all of them. Why? Because then the purpose of creation would never happen, would never be achieved. Yeah? If a small little star, 10 trillion Who? miles. Who? Star. S-T-A-R. Okay. It's 10 trillion miles away. Yes. That's advancing the purpose of creation. Correct. It's more than that. It says that God can call every star by name. That's what it says. Luchulam Shemus Yikro. Right? Every star has a name. Now, how many stars are there? Well, this, <coughs> we have one, our star is our sun, but the galaxy in which we are in, that has minimally, although they say it's much more, at least 100 billion stars. How much is 100 billion? Right? That's one galaxy. And the estimation of how many galaxies are there, there's over a hundred billion galaxies in the universe. It's astounding. There's a famous picture, which they took, I think, in the 90s, you know, where some guy aimed his telescope into what's called a deep space. And he left it on for a couple of days or whatever, right? And he produced a picture which is very hard to believe. You see all kinds of smudges and dots each one is a galaxy and in that picture alone on just one little area of the sky there's 2,000 galaxies they never knew that before it shocked all the astronomers they never heard of something like that you know in one little patch in the sky there were 2,000 galaxies that you could see and you could see them little smudges you know some of them you could see more distinct was a galaxy you know it was just astounding to look at. I really should bring in the picture. It's an incredible picture uh, of what exists and so on. Okay? And that's only one little spot. We have no idea. There are trillions of galaxies. Each one containing 100 billion, two, 300 billion stars. Okay? And God can call each one by name. That means there are names to all of them. Correct? What's the significance that God can call them by name? Because if you can call something by name, it means you have a value that justifies a name. What's your value? That you advance the purpose of creation. That's the value. What else is the value? You know, some star, you know, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it, uh, a billion light years out? Well, what's it, you know, we don't know. But the amount of stars in the entire known universe, the entire known universe, they estimate, is 13.8 billion light years. Light years is a distance, a measure of distance, how more, far light can travel in one year, which is 6 trillion miles. Light is 186,000 miles a second, or 300,000 meters per second. It means you can go around the Earth seven times in one second, if you, want, if you want to have some kind of feel what that means. Yeah, light can travel around the Earth seven times in a second, you know? You know, then you wonder why you're having a communications problem, right? Why is my phone working, you know? <laughs> Uh, you know, so, so light in a year will travel 6 trillion miles. You multiply one year times, uh, you know, 186,000 miles, 6 trillion, you know. 
you know, and the universe is 13.7 billion or 13.8 billion light years. Imagine, so 13.8 billion, right, times 6 trillion. And you walk away with a number which is beyond belief. You know, that's the expanse in miles of the universe, you know. And this universe is filled with stars. And each one is necessary. Even though stars we can't see because they're so far away. Because if it, remember, the rule is, in order to exist, it must be part of advancing the purpose of creation. That's the rule. And if not, it doesn't exist. So when it means that he calls everyone by name, what that means is that they have a value. That's why they have a name. What is their value? That they are critical, necessary in some way, to move the universe, move the, the whole creation forward in terms of the purpose. Well, how do you begin to think about this? We can't. We have no inkling of what, what like I said, we have no inkling about so many things, about, uh, uh, about uh, why these things have to exist. But they do. But that's where you have, uh, when he says, that he calls each star by its name. That means it's significant in the, in the sense that uh, the universe, whatever that means, you know, the purpose will not be achieved without that star. Don't even begin to ask me what in the world does that mean? And so on, you know. But th this is the, the totality of creation. And, and so on, you know. Um, now, so this is a fundamental understanding of the hashgocha, of the supervision that God does to the Bria. <coughs> just to keep it going with all its components, just to keep it going to make sure that ultimately the purpose is achieved. Okay? So that's a fundamental understanding that the Ramchal brings down uh, of, the, of the nature of supervision, what he does. Okay. That's number one. Yeah. On Shabbos, does Hashem withdraw himself at all? No. Right? Can't. And then what would fill it in? Uh, in other words, the Roshim is the only one that can sustain. He's the only one that can give existence to everything. If he, if he withdraws, you instantly disappear. He says on the seventh day he rested. That, no, it, he didn't rest. God doesn't get tired, so he doesn't have to rest. You know? uh, what he does is he ceased, to, he ceased creation. That's what I mean. He stopped. You know? And now it's all, like you say, it's maintenance. You know, that's what it means. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, he, in other words, all creation took place uh, in six days. And on the seventh day, he stopped. But which is interesting because stopping, when the concept of God stopping, it's itself a creation. The concept of ceasing itself is a, is a created idea. So really, Shabbos was the last creation, if you want to look at it that way. The abstinence or the avoidance of working itself is a created idea. It's a concept that was created, yeah. So Shabbos is the last thing created, even though it meant the, 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 uh, the absence of creating anything and so on, you know. But in any case, the main idea is that this is the first concept they have to understand in terms of supervision, you know. Um, really, it's... Uh, the Rambam uses it, if you want to think about the roimimus of God, the awesomeness of God, this is what you think about, you know? What kind of a being is it 
that can do this, that can create infinite amount of beings and sustain them in its precision, give it the right things, what type of a being is, you know? And the amazing thing, you know what I find the amazing thing, obviously this type of a being, God, is just it's incomprehensible. And I find it amazing that God allows you to talk to Him. What is tefillah? Prayer. When you pray, who are you praying to? You're praying to that being that did all this. You know, so it's astounding how we as absolute zeros compared to God, we actually have permission to address God and ask for things. You know what I'm saying? Think about that. You know? You know it says the earlier Hasidim used to spend hours contemplating before even davened. You know? What they think about? They thought about these ideas. Who is this being you're about to address? You know? And what is the significance of the fact that you are allowed to stand in his presence, so to speak, and ask him, praise him, ask him things. You're talking to God. When you say, Baruch Atah, blessed are you, not Baruch who, blessed is he, right? It's, it's incredible. So what, what happens is you begin to be filled with the feeling of rimimus, awesomeness. That you realize God is awesome, you know, in the nth degree, so to speak, you know. We don't, we don't do that, so therefore, you know, we don't do that in tefillah. But really, tefillah should require that. We don't because we're busy, we've got to go quick, get to the job, all this kind of stuff, you know. But when you really want to think about it, if you really want to address God properly, first thing you have to do is think about who are you praying to, you know. And then there's a rumor, you know, there, there are many rebbers that daven late, I mean, really late, you know, like there's some rebbers that daven at three o'clock, chakras, you know, because they couldn't bring themselves to talk to God. The, 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 you know, the thought about who this God is that you're actually going to stand in front of and ask him for things is just, it's, it's almost laughable. It's absurd. It really is, you know. You know I mean, if you, if, if you stood in front of an English, uh, you know, a, a king, a royal king, you know, I mean, you know, just pick a country, you know, there's majesty and there's awe, you know, especially the way the, 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 the palace is arranged, you know. I mean, an, if you go to Washington, D.C., and what's Washington, D.C.? And you go into the, you know, the Congress. There's a certain remembrance. There's a certain majesty. That's why it's built that way, to make you feel, you know, that you're insignificant. And to give you the feeling that they are great. You know, which of course is absurd. You know, the politicians are godlike, and you're zero. That's why they look that way, you know. But really, you know, it's to give you a sense of awe, and a sense of majesty. You see? So this is what you have to do to people... And you know, people, who are they? They're nothing. You know, they're here today and gone tomorrow. Um, but imagine addressing the Bershlam, you know. My feeling is that if you did think about this, give it three minutes before you start filler, you know. Before, uh, you know. Really, what, what, just as a, as a uh, practicality, you know. And I always wonder, you go, you go down in Shachos in the morning, and the guys walk in, the shliach tzibur, he's at Yishtabach, and there's a guy walking in, begin to put on his film. 
I mean, this happens all the time, you know. So if you ask yourself, what in the world is this guy thinking? You know, if he understood for one minute who he's about to talk to, you know, why is he late? You know, if he had, a, if he had an appointment, you know, with uh, whatever, you know, uh, some dignitary or whatever, you know, some uh, the president, you know, the king of a country, would he come late? Of course not. Because the significance of who he's about to meet is, even as a person, is incredible. So how do you walk late into a minion? <coughs> you see? Because you're about to talk to Melech Malchem Lochem, the king of kings of kings. You know what I'm saying? So what are you doing coming in late? And the guy zips on his film, mumbles a couple of words, and then she takes off his film, and he's gone. You know what I'm saying? It always, you know, it always astonishes me. How does a guy do that if he really understood who he's about to talk to? You know, a being that is beyond, as you see from all this, the Hashgokha, a being which is beyond comprehension. The people do it all the time. So what a person should do at least is come, if the minion starts at 8 o'clock, come five minutes to eight. And just think about, what am I about to do for the next three quarters of an hour or whatever, you know? You know? And think about, who is it that I'm about to talk to? You know, I, 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 it would be a different feeler. It would be a different prayer. But the fact that people can walk in and just zip through, they come in in the middle of the davening, you know, by Yishtabach, you know, I, well, I, you know, by the time he gets ready to daven, they're already holding by Shimon Esrei, and he's got to first begin, you know, and so, you know. I always wonder, and, and the people do this consistently. They always come late. So I always wonder, who do they think, what do they think they are praying to? To whom are they praying? Because if they thought for one minute who they're praying to, they would never do this. How can you do this? <coughs> you know what I'm saying? And so on, you know. Anyway, that's a practical concept that comes out of the Hashgokha, of who is God in terms of, look what this being has to do to sustain an infinite variety of species and an infinite variety of interactions between species and so on, you know? And if they thought about it, like I say, you know, so pr on a practical level, think about that, just from this, and your, t and your prayer would have a different meaning. On a practical level. Yeah, go ahead. I read a book, Eli Monk said, uh, when I pray, I'm talking to God. When I learn Torah, God's talking to me. Okay. Same, same concept. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, definitely. Sure, you know. But I, I'm, I'm just saying that from this Hashgoch, from the Hashgoch, from the supervision of God, you begin to think about what God does and who you're praying to. And exactly, yes, that that's true. Yeah, you, sometimes you wonder if I only had to pray once a day, would I have more kavana? Maybe. You sometimes wonder, which is true, you know. Maybe the fact that we have to pray so many times, although actually really only have to pray twice a day, Meirav uh, was really for a long time was a rishus. Then it became a, a, a what do you call it, a din, you know. So theoretically, according to the Torah, you really only had to pray, you know, certainly. Uh, and even that's uh, takon, you know. But uh, maybe, maybe if you only had to pray once a day, you would put more meaning to it. But I'll tell you something, it wouldn't help. I guarantee you. 
you know, because for that one time a day you're going to come in the middle. They're just guys who just have to come in the middle, you know, or else, you know. Uh, so maybe it's better to do three times a day because then you figure if you do three times a day, maybe for one minute in one of those tefillahs, you'll be more serious. You know, so that to increase it, you know, it's, you know, it's probably much more likely. Uh, but anyway, <clears throat> uh, okay, so that's an important concept which is really worthwhile thinking, you know, that the most important or serious idea of Hajgokho, of God's interaction, is all of this. And you realize that it's incomprehensible. Anyway, okay, so we have that idea. <coughs> now, but the Hajgokho to everything is different than mankind. Mankind means whether we're even Jew or Goy, it doesn't make a difference because all mankind has free will or a range of free will, if you look at that, you know? Because the fact that you have free will means what? Means you choose what to do. You're the cause. And therefore, it is you're held responsible for the action that you've done since you are a true cause. And free will, uh, I'm telling you now, is true cause. Although it's really, uh, how it works is beyond comprehension. Uh, but f free will is a true cause that you do what you want to do. Nobody puts that thought or decision into your mind. You see. So therefore, if you think about that, if that's the case, then God's hashgocha, His response to you, is also different. You see. Most of creation, they act because there's a script. If you remember from last week and the week before. There's a koch nivdol that represents you, a transcendental force that is your root, your counterpart. Then there's an angel who's got a script that deals with you. And this is true of everything. <coughs> but it's the only being that deviates from this concept is man. Because he has free will. And therefore, as I said last week, we can actually force the koch nivdol to assume a different shape, you see, because that has to react to our actions. Therefore, the Hashgokho, therefore God now reacts to man based on his free will. So that Hashgokho already is a whole different Hashgokho. So it comes out, when you think about that, that there are two major divisions of beings in the world. There are only two. One is all those beings that have no free will at all which is the overwhelming majority of creation. They have no free will at all. They are acted upon by angels that manipulate their transcendental force. That's one section. Section two is all those beings that have free will. Very important uh, division, okay? And therefore, it affects the Hashgokha. So therefore, the supervision or the interaction that God will have on either section is radically different. So you're either A or you're B, you know? And that will affect the Hajgokha. That's a very important division to have in mind. Uh, so therefore, obviously, therefore God has to look at your actions, you know, your deeds, right? And actions means what? What you think, what you speak, and what you do. Because man strives in three dimensions. He thinks, right? He speaks, and he does. Feeling, however, remember one thing. A feeling is based on thought. 
which comes first the thought or the feeling the answer is the thought feelings don't emerge feelings always emerge because of a thought whether that thought which I spoke about a week ago whatever be conscious or unconscious remember I talked about the stream of consciousness right that there's so many different thoughts we're having which are unconscious and that's called the stream of consciousness you know and that's why all of a sudden like I mentioned last time you can be walking and all of a sudden you have a feeling where'd that come from because it came from a thought that was unconscious that evoked the, the feeling you see so emotions are really a response to thinking whether that thought be conscious or unconscious okay so therefore God responds to all three dimensions of a man's actions mankind's actions you see and Najgoch will address all of them which is an important very important idea you know <clears throat> so therefore what the Ramchal is saying <clears throat> that because uh, we have free will therefore the Hashgokha has to be much more much different to us as it is to any other creature there the Hashgokha the supervision is to create to maintain and to manipulate them whatever actions you know if a tiger you know let's say if there's a lion in Africa uh, you know what I'm saying and the lion wants to eat right He's, that lion is being completely manipulated by the Rabbanu Shalom by its Koyach Nivdol it's not because the lion chose to eat, you see. It is being acted upon by its uh, parallel, its counterpart in, 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 in spirituality. You know? It's not that because the lion, although it looks that way, but it's not. And which animal the lion decides to jump on and eat is all part of this incredible supervision. When it comes to man, however, right, then there's a wait, there's a waiting action. God waits, because you need to act, and He will then react. You see? And even in that, as we will see, there are two subdivisions. There's the rule of the universe is mido connected mido, measure for measure. As you do, so will happen to you. That's measure for measure. In the exact measure, detail, degree that you've done. That's the universal law of creation, you know. And by the way, uh, that law of Mida Kenegan Mida is a law in physics. It's Newton's third law. What's Newton's third law, if you remember from your physics? For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. What does that sound like to you? It's din. That's Mida Kenegan Mida. You see? But Newton was thinking about it in terms of the three laws of motion. Newton was thinking about it in terms of motion, right? But really, that law is meter connected meter, measure for measure. In other words, it's the physical manifestation of a spiritual law, you see. So therefore, God, even then, God will react. In other words, you did A, so you must get B. So God's supervision or response, you get B. Or God can say, no, I don't want me to connect me though. I will suspend the judgment or the, I will suspend the judgment. You see? And that's Rachmanus. So what God did is he deviates. You see, that's part of the Hashgacha. Where he can decide, nope, this guy deserves B because he did A. I'm not going to do B. Either I'm going to wait where I will do nothing. Or I will do something which is much easier, softer, 
you see, or spread over time. So God can play around with the Midah, connected Midah. This is all part of the response that God has to what a person does. So that's Anhogas HaMishpat, that's what it's called. It's the attribute or the action of God in terms of Mishpat, justice, you see. But all of that is the concept, of course, ultimately, God responds. That's the Hashgacha, that Ramchal is going to go into, you see. <clears throat> then I once mentioned there's a third Hashgacha, where God will do something completely different, you know, for the purpose of, of, either, of either helping you, guaranteeing, uh, assisting you to, for your existence to get to the future world. So God may do something completely different. He'll do something, but it's not the concept of din. It's the concept of yichud. Yichud means God to suspend judgment. I once gave a shir about that altogether and just do whatever he wants because he wants this creation to have a tikkun, to have a rectification. That's rachman, it's something what was that? It's not Rachman. Rachman, yeah. I mean, in a certain sense, the fact that it guarantees you is Rachman in that sense, you know. But Rachman usually is that God either will wait, which he won't do the, the din, the, the, uh, the judgment, right? Or he will mitigate it by spreading it over many years. Or he will take a different form. Uh, in other words, he will alter the judgment itself, you see. But to do something completely different. And not only that, but to do maybe its opposite. Where if you sin, you get rewarded. Which is also possible, you see? Because God decides that it's more appropriate to reward you. Maybe then you'll think about it and say to, my, say to yourself, well, how could I have done this if God is so good to me? Yeah, this is all part of what the Bansham can do, you see? But that would be the concept of Yichud as opposed to Mishpat. Uh, so that's so. Oh. Rachamim is really a partial suspension of din. Yes. Right? is a complete suspension of din. Uh, as far as we're concerned, it's a complete suspension of din. But all books have to be balanced, no matter what. Ultimately, everything has to be balanced. Yeah. But you said once they don't necessarily have to be balanced. The what? You said once that we can appeal to that to that. Rotzen Elyon. Yeah, that was the whole. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because you just say, hey, God says, I want to do this. I'm not interested in anything else. I want to do this. And I would talk about the power of redemption. Yes, or, or, yeah, in a certain sense. Yeah, but that justification can be years later or whatever. You know, God holds that that, uh, counting and so on, you know. Uh, So therefore, this is a very important concept. That the Bansham deals with humans in a whole different way. They're a different class, you know. And he deals with uh, humans very differently. But also, even when he deals with humans, he could look at you individually, or he could look at you in terms of your contribution to a community. Because remember, it's not that God wants you in the future world. He wants a community in the future world. You see? So therefore, when he takes action against an individual, that action can recognize only the person, or the action can recognize the whole community itself. That's why many times in Yom Kippur, you know, uh, if there's a person that's really contributing a great deal of uh, what he called virtue to a community, that person may live even though really he shouldn't live, 
Let's say he did things where he should be punished in a bad way, a severe way, right? But because he is an important member of a community that enables the community to survive and to get Oilam Haba, then God won't do anything to him. Because he needs him for the community. So even though individually he's not, he doesn't merit, right, that particular Hashgacha, but the Hashgacha <coughs> can come if you are a contributor to the welfare of the community, especially the Jewish community, then you will flourish even though, right, even though you don't deserve it. So therefore there are two considerations, remember. One, uh, there's an individual consideration of who you are to get you into the future world, right? And then there's a consideration of the community because God wants ultimately the community in the future world, you see? So then your status as a, 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 in terms of the community is evaluated, you see? So you may be getting things which you don't deserve at all, but because God wants a community and not just you in the future world, right? Therefore, the hashgocha and you will be completely different because of that, and, not de- and you're not dealt with as an individual. That's why I always say, you know, one of the greatest professions, I call that a profession, or one of the greatest actions you can do is called zikoi horabim, to bring merit to the public. Zikoi, merit, horabim, to bring merit to the community, to the Jewish people. That if, if you get involved in helping Jews as a class, that's much greater merit than if you do a mitzvah by yourself. Because not only are you affecting yourself only and nobody else, <coughs> right? But if you, inv- if you, if you do mezake horabim, you see, which means to bring merit to the, to the community, right? Then it's much greater. Because not only are you bringing merit to them, which means that you will have a chilek, you will have a part in all of their uh, mitzvahs you, you actually caused. You see? But besides that, when it comes to judgment, what's going to happen? You will be evaluated based on the contribution that you do to the community. You see? And that's a much greater schus that will get you on Yom Kippur, it'll get you off the hook, as they say. You see? Because that's how you're evaluated. So therefore, I always encourage, if you can, get involved in some type of community project where there's a tzibur, there's a public, there's a community, you know, that benefits from you. Because then you are looked at, you are evaluated differently than if you just have nothing to do with anybody else. You understand what I'm saying? Because many times a person doesn't deserve what he's getting based on his actions, but he deserves it in terms of that God needs him because of the community. It's an interesting concept. And therefore, he will give him, you know, a tremendous amount of mazal and brocho, you know, a tremendous amount that he will flourish and prosper <coughs> because God wants a community also in the future world. You see? That's why I always encourage people to say, you know, get involved in some communal thing where you actually list, lift people spiritually. It's a great, a tremendous chos. It says that in, um, yeah. in the Navi, it says that, um, I think it was the Isha of I think, and yeah. Elio or Alicia, one said to her if he could put in a good word with the king yeah and she said Ani ami Ani what? I am ami in the midst of my people I dwell something to that, to that effect 
So what are you trying to say? Why you say that he was the Rosh Hashanah, and he went to Daven for her to put in, he was a Navi, so he had extra clout. Yeah. <clears throat> and she said, I'd rather stay in the Tzibor. What are you trying as to say? Part of the, 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 something different. As part of a Tzibor, I have more chance of being, of, of getting, coming out with a good judgment. Well, okay, because she wants to be considered as part of the public, uh, Jews in general, and therefore the decree will apply to all the Jews, yeah. Okay. Uh, what I'm saying is different, yeah. Okay. Is there any benefit in trying to analyze your life to determine how God's dealing with you? Yeah, sure. Doesn't mean you're right. Yeah. I mean, you can try, you know, it doesn't mean you're mean you're wasted effort. You, you could do so many different things. Who? God. How he's... You know, you look at your life and try to determine which way God's taking you. But the problem is unknown. You see, a great you 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 do not know all the variables and the factors that God looks at. It's infinite in terms of your individual life. You don't know. It could have been like you know reincarnations factors. Also, if He does something to you, He's got to take into account other people. How everybody? Oh, you know, all this. You know, he's got like a, a billion factors to figure out what to do to you in terms of yourself, other people, the whole community, all your lives. You see what I'm saying? And where your status of the tikkun is, where are you standing? He's, he's that kind of, for you, for him, for him it's not a problem. No, for you to well, understand what's Well, going. that's what I'm saying, so don't bother. I always felt that people that come into my life I've dealt with them before in past lives. Fine, but you don't know. This is all—it's all speculation. Maybe not. You don't know. But is, isn't that kind of if if a person sees that trouble are coming up onto him, you should try to figure out if there's anything that. He's yeah. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. That's that certain, that's certainly if he can. Yeah. To, to investigate or inspect his own actions. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe it doesn't mean he's right. Maybe. Maybe not. But certainly, it should be some form of exercise that a person does. Because maybe a person can figure out. Sometimes it's a parent. Because that, that's the most apparent. Right? Yeah, if it's a parent, then you, you'd be okay. But what happens if a guy, uh, you know, could, you know, I'm even such a tzaddik, know. why would God do this to me? Even if he, does, <laughs> even if he doesn't know, he could do very, the very point that he did shuva is already something. Even yeah, oh yeah, awesome. yeah. <clears throat> you have to analyze your, your deeds. Yeah, I, 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 I think the best way to approach God, right, is <coughs> probably, listen, I'm zero. I don't deserve anything. I don't even deserve, no, I don't even know why you created me. You know, I've been thinking about that, you know. It doesn't mean I want to terminate it, don't get me wrong. <laughs> Not about to commit suicide. But you say to God, listen, I'm zero. Whatever you give me is beyond my comprehension. So do me a favor, just keep on giving me, that's all, you know, it's just a, anyway, I don't deserve anything anyway, you know, so what am I going to pray to you? I got this merit, that merit, you know, it's like it says in the morning tefillah, you know, Machazdeinu, our chesed is zero, our, our tzitkas is zero, we're, we're zeros, so you approach God as a, as a zero, you know, and you just say, listen, whatever you give me anyway, I don't deserve, it's only because you're an incredible being that's filled with love, for me and mankind and so on. So I ask you based on that love that you say you have, I don't know why you have it, right? Uh, please let me have this, let me have health, and parnosa, shidduch, whatever you need and so on, you know? That's the best way to approach God. Because if you approach him and say, you know, 
I did great. I did this good deed. So maybe based on that deed, you should give me. Well, that's that's dangerous because God can say, "Excuse me." Well, it's not that you're challenging him, you know, and he's God's gonna say, "Excuse me," you know. Yeah, you may have done this, but really, it wasn't enough. When when and when you're doing it, you would think about an ego trip. Yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to. You know, because God knows exactly what you did, what the motive was, and so on. You know, and if you bring that up as a merit, God's gonna easily destroy it. I mean, he could if he wanted, you know, especially if it really wasn't genuine, you know. And is anybody's acts ever 100% genuine? We're always thinking about, you know, what the other guy's going to say, and will I look good? Listen, because we're human, you know. Best thing is always to approach God and say, you know, I'm zero. One of you give me is completely undeserved. Yaakov Avinu, when Yaakov Avinu prayed, you know, uh, about uh, when he, you know, but when he, uh, when he left, uh, when he left uh, Yitzchok and so on, and he went on his way to the house of Lovin. Remember, he, he, he slept on the rock and so on the ladder. He dreamt of the ladder. He says, Sodom. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't deserve a thing you did for me. You know, but I ask you because you know you, you say you love me and so on. Based on that, let me prosper and flourish and so on. You know, and then you're not basing what you want on any action that you did. Because any action you did can easily be refuted. Yeah, you did it, but who knows? You were, you were thinking of four things when you were doing it. So you want to get involved in that, you know? You could just say <clears throat> that um, I don't deserve anything. I'm a nobody, but I'm asking you to do it because you are the great giver. You are the hot native, and so on, you know? In other words, base it all on his character not on what you deserve. You're much more likely to be answered if you do that than to say, <coughs> give it to me because I did something great. You see. But anyway, uh, so the Ramchal is now, what, what I'm doing, we're setting up the factors of why God does anything, the concept of what are the rules that he goes by that determines his interaction with you, which is the concept of Hashkocho, <coughs> the supervision. And that what I did is that now I set up the whole thing where we can now enter. Ah, it's not bad, we finished one pair. Uh, you know, it's a milestone. Um, but anyway, um, uh, yeah, and then, we, uh, the, the next week, you get much more into the details itself. What are the rules that God uses to determine his relationship and his interaction and his supervision based on your deeds? That's really where we're at. What's that? For mankind. For mankind, yeah, yeah. Uh, mankind also for the Jew, uh, especially for the Jewish people. You know, because we're the ones who do the tikkun. You know, our actions are not just actions. They actually do something for the Bria, which is part of the factor. You know, what are you doing for creation and so on, you know? <coughs> okay, great. Uh, any questions? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you said there's two types of, cre of um, creations. There's people who, people who have free will and there's the rest. Yeah, there are two classes. Two classes. And that determines the supervision that God does for. But uh, in, in free will itself, there's also two classes. There's a free will that advances the purpose of creation and free will that doesn't. Yes. So, what, why would Hashem... Well, well, actually, there's only one... Um, 
everything you do with free will will either advance or <coughs> halt or retard the advancement. There's no act that you, once you have free will on a certain matter, right, then anything you do will have one of two consequences. Either it will advance creation or it will retard creation, the, the purpose of creation. But Tikkun, on the other hand, you said is only given to Benavarosak and Yaakov. Yes, to the Jewish people. So, so what happens to whoever is not? Who, who is not? I mean, whoever is, whoever is not Jewish, uh, in terms of their. Well, one said. Well, he's going to get. He has a whole chapter on that. What's the purpose of goyim? If there's no tikkun, they don't do tikkun. A goy cannot affect the spiritual universe, and that's where the tikkun lies. But what a goy can do is affect his life here. But his real purpose is to assist the Jews. That's the whole purpose of goyim. It's like everything else, right? Except the difference between a everything assists the Jews if you think about that you know, it's everything, everything exists only to do the tikkun since the Jews are the one who do the tikkun the rectification of creation right? then everything that is created must assist them if not then they go backwards it's negative and then they are held accountable a goy if a goy is, remains a goy and doesn't become Jewish then that goy must assist the Jew that is his merit so he has free will. Yeah, if he freely, if he free, well, it's, uh, that's the tragedy. If he assists the Jewish people to advance the tikkun, which is their job, right? Then he will share in the tikkun process in the sense that he will be rewarded. If he doesn't do it, right? Then he will, there's, there's what's called a retribution to this person. And if he does it in a way which is totally against what the Jew has to do, then I feel sorry for that guy, or woman, or whoever it is, you know. Then he will be severely punished, and he'll, he could be annihilated. You see? Because remember, their purpose, the justification, it sounds strange, you know, and it's not because I'm a racist, you know. This is what the two see that Ramchal says that, in, in just a couple of chapters ahead, you know. The justification for the existence of a Jew is tikkun. The justification of the existence of a non-Jew is to assist the Jew in his tikkun. If they don't do that, then it, in, a, in a certain sense, it's purposeless, you see, and, 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 they, and they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't understand that. So we are elitist. We're not elitist, no. But, but, but God made us the elitist. The, that's the reality. That's the whole concept of Avraham Avinu, which we're gonna see when we get to that period and so on and so forth, that mankind in the beginning had that purpose. Everybody was an elitist. They, what you call them right and they threw it off and, that, and that's the problem you know but a guy can change that reality by becoming Jewish or a guy can change that reality by becoming a Noachide concept of a Ger Toshav yeah if a Noach observes the seven mitzvahs of Noach because the God of Israel made those laws he will get Oilam Habo yeah he, a guy doesn't have to become Jewish to become a Ged Oilam Habo, he can become a Ged Toishev. In other words, he can observe the law of Noach, the Noachite laws, seven of them, and whatever other details, right? He will get Oilam Habo. If he doesn't do the seven mitzvahs, but he does assist Jews. Assisting the Jews, I, 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 oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, yeah. Oh, 
probably I would think he would get Olim Habo. However, he's going to pay because he didn't do that. So yeah. Him, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, but, but the, the critical thing is, you know, it's, uh, <coughs> is, is to observe them, the, the Noachai laws, but what gives them the merit ultimately is, the, uh, is, to, uh, is to assist the Jews. And that's, that's in many ways uh, justifies the existence of Goyim. Sounds a terrible statement, but like I say, you know, that you see from the Torah and so on, you know. But a goy can get Oyim Hapa, there's no question about it. There are many goyim who are righteous, you know, and righteousness means that they observe Getoshev, that they observe the, the laws of Noyach, right? And, and they're really righteous. They're, very, they're, they're, they're great people, you know. Many goyim were that way. They will get Oyim Hapa. But if they assist the Jews, then Ashrechem then it's incredible what they'll get. And therefore, it's incredibly tragic to watch this world. That there's so many goyim that want to destroy the Jews or, 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 or reduce their ability to survive and to flourish. It's just beyond belief, you know, uh, and, uh, they're all, and they'll all be held accountable, you know, uh, which is really in many ways tragic, you know. It's like, the, I think, I'm not sure if there's a Gemara or a Medrash, which says that if the Goyim knew, you know, uh, that their whole Hatzvocha <coughs> is based on the Jews' actions toward rectification, which are the mitzvahs, right? They would appoint two Goyim guys who work out in a gym, right? They would, each, they would go over to a Jew and we, you must do the mitzvahs. Where do you see this? It says in the Torah. What does it say by Avraham Avinu? God says, in you will be blessed all the nations of the earth. Wow, what a statement. Right? What does blessing mean? Right? Blessing means you can get the future world. Depending, it says in the Torah, God says that Avram Avinu, right? Right? Those who curse you will be cursed. Those who bless you will be blessed. And in you lies the blessing of the Goyim. God says that openly. You know? Uh, you know, I mean, Goyim should read that statement, you know, but they don't. It's some clarification, if I may. In this class, it was mentioned when Edom went from Rome to the church, the Vatican, Vatican, had some significance. So they don't, their only way to affect the Tikkun is to assist us. That's their role. Well, that's what, that's what the Tikkun is, yeah. And the second thing to comment, I don't know, I'm looking for an answer. The rules aren't clearly written. It's not like Gentiles go, oh, I should find... You know where you, wait, wait, you, know where you see this? Because the Gemara of the Zorah, at the end of time, where the Romans, the Goyim, are going to say to God, well, we built so many roads for the Jews. We built roads, we built markets, you know. What are they saying? What's their taina? We did so many things that helped the Jews. You notice that's their taina? And therefore we should get the future world. Right? You see from their taina what they had to do which, of course, they didn't do, and that's God's response. It's, excuse me, you didn't do anything. What did you do? You wanted, <coughs> you know, you, you did it for yourself. So you, you built roads so you can collect tax, you know, tolls and so on and so forth. That's why you did it. It's all for you. It happens to be, right, that the Jews benefited incidentally, you know. But you see from what the Goyim said to get the future world, you see immediately what their purpose was. It was why would they use that argument? They didn't say, well, give us the future world, you know. Why? Because we're such great guys. You know, you know what I'm saying? They didn't say, well, we're, we're, we're saints. Saints. Tzaddikim, right? They didn't say that. But they said, 
wrong religion. <laughs> what they did say was, um, uh, you know, hey, we did so much for the Jews. You see? Because they knew intuitively that the schus of a goy to get the future world basically is you need to help the Jews. You want to deviate from that? You are risking eternal life so, and so on, you know? But I was thinking, it's not like every Gentile has in front of the paper choose the right path or, or uh, you know, to help the Jews and follow these laws or don't. The same thing with Baal Tshuva. It doesn't seem like uh, it's a clear-cut choice. I, I want to do good instead of my secular life, which is evil. You kind of subtly end up in a certain area with baby steps. Is it truly Bahira that someone ends up a Baal Tshuva or truly Bahira that a Gentile says, you know what, I want to do what Rabbi Kessin said. I want to change my Christian path to assist the Jews rather than where I ended up with my family. Is it, yeah, well, is it 100% a, a choice somehow? Yeah, it's free will. They don't have to do it. It's all, they have free will. He's asking right? what's their free will when they're totally ignorant exactly. of their purpose. Yeah. Um, I didn't say it well. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Um, Same thing with then, then, wait, wait. So that obviously mitigates their judgment. You know, God knows exactly, you know, do they have free will? How much free will do they have? How much information do they have in order to have free will? Because you have to know, not to have free will. You have to have options. You have to know what to do. So God determines that, you know. Uh, and whatever it is, it is, and so on. But they certainly have free will, you know, and so on. But like I say, the tragedy is that most of mankind is opposed to helping the Jews, you see. And they have no idea what, that they are endangering their entire eternal life, you know. Because then, because the question is, if you're not assisting the Jews, so what justifies your existence? <coughs> you know, because it's not that, uh, it's not assisting the Jews that's the critical part. It's when you assist the Jew, then you have a contribution in the tikkun. That's what justifies your existence. And it happens to be that the Jews bring the tikkun, and therefore you got to help them. You see, it's the tikkun that's everything. The reason why the Jews cannot be destroyed is because the tikkun will not be done. Only by the Jews, so how can you destroy them? Everything depends on, are you advancing the purpose of creation, which is to bring God back? Everything depends on that. So should we proselytize to them and inform them and let no, them know? No, if you, no. If you proselytize to them, no, no, you, you don't proselytize them to become Jewish, you know, but you can proselytize and say, hey, stop committing the evil. Do the, do the mitzvahs of, of B'nai Noach. Believe in God, do justice, be righteous. A goy has to be righteous. You know what I'm saying? Of course you can proselytize to that. You know? What was that? That's what Mechemes Mitzvah was about. Mechemes. Mechemes Mitzvah. What do you mean? Go to war, take a country, and turn them into Noachites. Yeah, yeah. That you shouldn't. On the contrary, you should do that. So they won't, they won't, uh, they won't uh, be evil and so on. Sure, you know. And if a goy is righteous, then he will get Oilam Haba. If he is righteous, he will get Oilam Haba. And righteous means to do the mitzvahs of B'nai Noach, you know, because the, God, because the God of Israel commanded you. They have to believe that it's God's commandment, and that's why they're doing it, and so on, you know. There are many Yeah, well, there's a whole movement now with Noachides. 
you know, which is great, you know. Because in the end of time, I don't know if you realize that, but there's a whole movement of Christians who want to be Jews. Or, and they, when, but, but they don't realize they're, they're, they're killing it because there are Christians saying, well, we are really the Lord, part of the Lord's Ten Tribes, and therefore we're equal to you. There's a lot of stuff out there, you know, and, and, and there are many people that have no idea what they're talking about, you know. You know, like I say, you know, well, we're part of the Ten Tribes that got lost, right? So really we are the Jews, Here's what's going on, right? We are the Jews, so therefore we're equal to you in bringing God back. Excuse me, you know, you're Goyim. You're not equal. And that was God's decision, not the Jews. You know, you ask, are we elite? We're not elite. God said we're elite. That's the difference, you know. We never said we were elite. And anybody who's involved in the Tikkun process is elite. There's no question about that. Forget about the Goyim. What about assimilated Jews? The only thing I could do is when they pray that God will, you know, bring them back. Yeah, because okay. I was talking to an assimilated Jew from experience. I'm about You're wasting your time. Okay, anyway. You've grown to say, okay, I now see it your way, and I think God, it's a process. God just directed my steps. I don't know how <clears throat> Anyway, okay, great. Anyway, that's uh, so far. Wait, wait. So that's so far um, the the ideas, and we just continue now. Uh, you know, in terms of how to, what are the rules that God sort of abides by in order to supervise? Which is it's the Hashgach itself, which is a very important, obviously, concept because it's all part of the Tikkun. It's all part of bringing God back to creation and so on. You know.